0: It's Luke 11:23. It says, "Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters." Now, that should dispel the idea that people have in their heads about being okay with God as long as they aren't a murderer or a rapist. Your nice, friendly neighbor or your relative is either redeemed, forgiven, Beloved of God, adopted into God's family, or they are under the condemnation of a righteous and holy God. Most of us know John 3.16. It's a great verse. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's awesome. That's worth memorizing. But let's read a couple of verses later in John 3.18. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, you are either with Jesus or you are against him. There's simply no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. He's either a liar and a blasphemer or He was a lunatic with the most ridiculous notion, you know, delusions of grandeur ever. Or he was and is truly the Son of God and the only way to be reconciled to the Father. Now some people don't want to follow Jesus because they love themselves too much. They love their sin too much. But they don't want to reject him either because, I mean, that seems dangerous and rude So that's where the idea of this neutral ground comes in. The problem is that Jesus says there is no middle ground when it comes to him. To not decide what to do with Jesus is really to decide to reject Jesus and to remain under his condemnation. Now last week we also saw that people were seeing miraculous signs performed by Jesus Then they accused him of doing what he was doing by the power of Beelzebul, which is another name for Satan. So they saw Jesus cast demons out of a guy, and they said, yeah, that is freaky and supernatural and impressive, but you didn't do it by the power of God. You did it by the power of Beelzebul. And then, you know what they did? They turned right around and asked him for more signs. (laughs) Uh, It's as if they were saying, do something so amazing that it will overpower our skepticism. It's kind of like they were sitting back and saying, prove you're the son of God, I dare you. Well, today we're going to see that Jesus knew the problem was not that they didn't have enough evidence. They weren't lacking light, but they were blind and they couldn't see the light that was all around them. Let's pray today that we see the light that's revealed in the word and then we'll jump into our message Lord, thank you for giving us scripture. Thank you for making it precious to us. Father, if there, if there are those here who are not saved, Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them today. If there are people here, Lord, who are, are very immature in the faith and don't understand how precious your word is, I pray that you would illuminate their minds today, that you would show them the truth, reveal the truth to them. Lord, I pray that we'll take your word and we'll learn from it, but we won't only learn from it, we'll learn from it and then apply it and then obey it. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, Luke eleven twenty nine through 36 is where we're going to be today. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, there are many people who attend churches all over America today who are not real disciples of Christ. They are, for the most part, morally respectable people. They're good neighbors. But they do not do what Jesus said they had to do to follow him. They do not deny themselves, take up their crosses, and follow Jesus. But they do attend church and uh, Jesus has a message for those folks today. Now you are either one of those people or you know one of those people because they're everywhere. So stick with me. There are lots of reasons to attend church. Um, Until fairly recently, it was somewhat expected, at least here in the South. It might be a good place to make business contacts. It might be a place where people who have no real authority in any other realm come to church so that they can get some authority that they can wield over other people Uh, it might be a great place to meet friends actually that's legitimate it is a really good place to meet friends so i don't know all the reasons lost people attend church but we all know that they do now jesus was not interested in numbers now that's how a lot of us uh, measure ministry success and i freely admit i wish there were more people here this morning but I will never change the message in order to get more people in. I'll never be an ear-tickling preacher. But I tell you, Jesus surely wasn't an ear-tickling preacher. Uh, You you hear a preacher that says something convicting to you, and you say, well, he stepped on my toes. Well, Jesus ran over people with a steamroller, okay? And so when the crowds were increasing, when there was a lot of people there, here's what Jesus comes out with. He began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Now Jesus said that his generation, the generation he was talking to, was an evil generation. But you know what? They weren't killing their unborn children. They weren't normalizing and celebrating sexual promiscuity or homosexuality or transgenderism. They had not kicked God out of their schools and government, and yet Jesus said that generation was an evil generation. Now, what do you think he would say of ours? <laughs> I think he would say ours is an evil generation as well, but it's a different kind of evil. It's, it's a much more overt kind of evil that we have in our generation. We call evil good and good evil, but the evil of his generation was more subtle, but still really pervasive. Do you remember last week we saw that moralism without Jesus is worse than outright paganism? Now why is it worse? I mean, to be honest, I would rather have an outwardly moral neighbor than a crazy, you know, uh, civilly disobedient uh, you know, rabble rousing neighbor. I want somebody that's quiet and peaceable, and cuts their grass, and doesn't <laughs> doesn't drive their truck around in my yard at two a.m. And you know, I want a I want a morally upstanding neighbor. But it's really worse for that person because outwardly moral people without Jesus are the very hardest to reach with the gospel. You know, Jesus came to save sinners, and if you don't think that includes you, then you're not open to the gospel. Jesus came to preach the good news to the poor. But if you're rich and self-satisfied, you don't think you have any need for the gospel. The person who knows he or she is lost and sinful and going to have to face a righteous holy God in judgment, that person is in better shape than the self-righteous, self-satisfied person is. This evil generation of Jesus was seeking for a sign Now, they had seen so many signs. They had seen Jesus heal sick people. They saw him heal blind people, heal lame people. He healed lepers. Uh, He miraculously fed thousands of people. He cast out demons. As a matter of fact, he cast one out right before these same people said, Show us a sign. He walked on water. He calmed a storm by speaking to it. And then he raised the dead. And yet, these people said, we need a sign. Jesus said the only sign they would get is this one more. In verse 30, he says, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now, what is the sign of Jonah that Jesus refers to? Well, let's compare and contrast these two biblical characters for a minute. The most obvious thing to us is that Jonah spent three days in the stomach of a sea creature and was then delivered Jesus would spend three days in a grave and would rise again. So that's a similarity. They were both sent by God. That's a similarity. But that's about it. Now let's see how they're different. Jonah was pressed into service against his will. You may recall that when God told him to go to Nineveh, he headed precisely in the opposite direction. Jonah 1, 1 through 3 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Now, that is a dramatic contrast to Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 gives us Jesus' attitude. It says, Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jonah was a reluctant servant, but Jesus was willing to not only bring the message of salvation to us, but to be the means of salvation through his own sacrifice. Jonah hated the people to whom he was sent and did not want them to repent. When the people of Nineveh did repent, here's what Jonah said. In Jonah, starting in 3.10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, that's what repentance is, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, "'Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my own country?' That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. (laughs) What a nut. This guy went and preached a a call for repentance. The whole city repented from the poorest guy there to the king. Okay. They were all sitting in sackcloth and ashes. They repented at the preaching of of God's messenger. And he said, man, I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were all forgiving and stuff. So, man, just kill me. You know, so he hated these folks. Talk about a racist. Okay. Okay. There is real racism. I understand that. But I know there's a lot of stuff today that is called racism that is not actually racism. But old Jonah here was a true racist. He said, I hate those people. They need to die in their sin and go to hell. Jesus was such a contrast to this. In 2 Peter 3 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. Jonah came preaching repentance and faith in an unknown God. They didn't know anything about this God. They, these weren't the, the people of, of the promise, they weren't the folks that had had the benefit of having prophets and having the Word of God. He came to them and preached the wrath, the upcoming wrath of an unknown God, and they repented. Jesus came to God's chosen people. "...to fulfill the law and the prophets which spoke of him." So they should have known he was coming. They had the scripture. And he came according to the scripture. Jonah didn't perform any miracles. I mean, you could say, well, it was a miracle that this thing ate him and spit him up on the beach. Well, that's true, but he didn't do it. And the people of, of the town didn't see that happen. They might have heard about it. But Jesus had done many astonishing and undeniable miracles... And yet, despite all that, in verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus was so much greater as we've seen. The light given to these Jews was so much brighter. The problem was not with the light they had, but the blindness of their hearts. Look with me in verse 31. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Let's look at this event so we can see what Jesus is talking about. Now, we're going to look in 1 Kings 10.1. And I want you to, to hear this uh, recount of the queen of Sheba. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord okay she was coming because she had heard about Solomon but she had heard about Solomon's God and she wanted to come check this out she came to test him with many hard questions she was impressed with Solomon but she understood that Solomon was great because Solomon's God was great she didn't see any miracles she didn't hear the son of God preach she heard about what God was doing And undertook this very long and dangerous journey to come and find out about him. So she responded to the little bit of light that she had. She heard of God. That's all. She heard that God was doing amazing things. And she took it upon herself to go pursue that little bit of light that she had. Whereas these Jews were blind to the amazing revelation that they had right among them. She came from the ends of the earth. To hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now, it matters what you do with the light of revelation when God gives it to you. If you don't use it, you lose it. God sent Jesus as the ultimate revelation of Himself. You know, Jesus said um, in John 14 9, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So this is the, you know, God revealed himself through the scriptures, through the prophets. But the ultimate revelation was through his son, Jesus, who came and was in their midst preaching to them. And they said, you know, we just don't have enough light. We don't have enough revelation. Show us a sign. God revealed himself as clearly as possible to this generation. Look with me at verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus is telling them that he is here so that they can see him. The clearest and most direct revelation of God to his chosen people is standing right in front of them. He's saying, hey, if you light a light, you put it where people can see it. Here I am. Look. The reason that you provide light is for people to see. The problem was not with the light, but with their eyes. If you took a completely blind man and you brought him in here in the dark, he'd say it's dark. If you turn on every light in here, he'd say it's dark, okay? Because he can't see the light because of his blindness. Verse 34 says, Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. The problem was not the light, it was their eyes. Lost man hates and shuns the light of God. John three nineteen says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Man, that is as plain as can be. It's not that there's not light of revelation. It says the light came into the world, but the men didn't like it. The men and women who saw it hated it. Why? Because they love the darkness. Why they love the darkness? Because their deeds are evil. It's not that they don't have enough light. They just ran from it like roaches when you turn the light on, okay? Remember how we said that Jesus came to save sinners, and if you don't think you are one, you won't embrace the gospel? That is the problem with blind people. Now, not physically blind, but spiritually blind. They are too blind to see their own need. Revelation 3.17 talks about these kind of people. For you say, I am rich I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What could possibly make them this blind? Self-righteousness is what could make them this blind. This is why the self-righteous person in the pew is worse off spiritually than the drug abuser on the street. Now let me warn you. If the Spirit is drawing you to repent, then do it now. Please see this warning with me in verse 35. Therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. When God gives you spiritual enlightenment, you need to be grateful and you need to act on it. If you do, you'll receive more and more light. Verse 36 says... "If." then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark. It will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives off light. The more of God's will that you learn and obey, then the more you'll learn. Dr. Rogers used to tell us, start reading a chapter a day in the book of John and obey the parts you understand. And before long, you'll understand what you didn't understand. Understand? And we say, yes, sir. So it's not only gathering knowledge, okay? Gathering knowledge is good. You have to get it into your head before you can get it into your heart and your life. But it can't stop at your head. We have to learn what the will of God is and then obey the will of God. And then we'll be able to learn more of what His will is for us. The more you read, study, and obey the Scripture, the greater understanding of Scripture you will be given. I'm not saying, though, that it has to take forever to become mature in the faith. Uh, there was a guy at the, the very first church where I served was Trinity Baptist Church in South Haven. And there was a lady who came to Sunday school because some friends of hers were in that Sunday school, and they invited her. And she came, and she said, I'm not going to church because I'm a Roman Catholic, and I can't go to church, but I can come to Sunday school. Well, she came to Sunday school, and she enjoyed it. She loved the fellowship. She loved those ladies. And after a while, she said, Well, maybe I can, you know, maybe I can go in there for a minute. And so she went to church. And then she started enjoying church service. So she kept coming to church. Well, her husband didn't know what in the world had happened to her, but something had happened to her. <laughs> so he said, I got to go check out what these people have done to her. They have, it's a cult or something. They've brainwashed her. She's acting weird. So he comes to church with her. He hears the gospel. He gets saved. So now both these people are saved, redeemed folks. And he says, man, what what do I do now? And our pastor said, here's what you do now. Start reading the word. Start praying. Start memorizing scripture. Here, read this book I'll give you. And this guy was like a sponge. I mean, everything we gave him, he would soak up. He would dive into and I'm telling you, a year from his conversion date, he was more spiritually mature than 95% of that church was. Because he responded to the light that was given to him. It doesn't take forever to grow. It's not easy. You've got to do the work. You've got to read the Word. You've got to pray. You've got to study. You've got to engage your mind. But if you're willing to do that, God will grow you and He'll grow you speedily. So what do we do? Guys, if I ever preach a sermon and you go, well, what's he want me to do? Then you come tell me afterward and I'll repent and I'll do better next week. We have to respond to the preaching of the word. So we respond to the revelation that God has given us. Now don't tune me out. Our usual response is if if we were reared in church... Guys, what we do, what church people do is they come to church. They say, all right, we're going to sing for a while. We're probably going to pray a few times. then dude's going to talk. And then, oh, what's for lunch? I mean, that's how we are programmed. Instead, let's think about what we actually do in response to this. Response for the lost. Now, um, the thing that will keep you in here from realizing you're lost, if you're lost, I know most of us are believers. We gather as the church, but if there are lost people here, here's why: they're going to say, "Look, I'm a decent person. Uh, I, I really I don't do that much bad stuff. I like Jesus. He's cool. Um, you know, I'm a good citizen." Self righteousness. Self righteousness is going to be what keeps lost people in here from realizing they're lost. The other thing is a false gospel. Some people have heard the gospel that says this. Guys, um, you've been naughty. Jesus loves to forgive people. Ask him. Okay, I'll ask him. Would you forgive me? Yeah. Okay, cool. You are saved. You're going to heaven when you die. That's not the whole story. The whole story is we have sinned and rebelled against God. I saw a thing on Facebook today that that a lot of people were sharing. And if you shared this, please don't get mad at me because I'm not talking about you. (laughs) But it's this explanation this guy is giving. He's sitting in his car, and somebody says, why would a good God send people to hell? And this guy says, well, it's not like that. Um, really, we're already going to hell, and, and God would, you know, chose, to save, uh, chose to offer salvation to people. And it's like if you're going down on a boat, and a lifeboat comes by, and you're too dumb to get on a lifeboat that's not on God, that's on you. Well, there's some truth in that. Verse 18 of John 3 says that those who aren't believers in Christ are condemned already. That's true. But to say that God is not going to send people to hell, then who is? I mean, if God's not in charge, who's in charge? (laughs) Is God trying to rescue people from somebody else? I don't understand that explanation. The truth is that God does send people to hell who are in rebellion to him. Now, the way of escape that he provided was his own son paying the price for you and for your sins. So is he, is he amazingly graceful? Is he kind? Is he good? Yeah. But he's also really scary. If you're, if you're condemned under the condemnation of God because you choose to live in rebellion to him rather than submit to his son, there's a lot to be scared of there. So... If you are lost, here's the response to the message. Give up your self-righteousness and repent like the people of Nineveh did. Luke 11.32 says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Okay, so that's what we do. We repent and we place our faith in Jesus. In his life, death, burial, and resurrection on your behalf. If you do that, God will count your faith as righteousness and adopt you as his son or daughter. Now, most of us in here are probably believers. So here's what the believer does to this in response to this sermon. We have all been given the revelation of God a pure, perfect, complete revelation of God called the Bible. In it is everything you need to know in order to be reconciled to God. And for those of us who are reconciled to God, we also have other tools in our our tool belt. Listen to this. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His holy and glory is his own glory and excellence all right so we have everything we need we have the complete finished perfect word of God we have the spirit of God now you have everything you need to grow into full maturity and obedience and yet some of us have been stuck at the toddler stage of maturity for decades and that's that's not okay let me challenge you to grow in response to the amazing amount of light that you've been given Um, We are trying to facilitate that happening. Uh, Jimmy and Chris and I are are meeting regularly to read the Bible, to pray, and to memorize Scripture. Uh, Deanne and the women in my house are meeting together to read the Bible. I mean, they don't read together. They read separately and come and talk about it. They're reading. They're studying. they're, They're getting together and discussing it. And they're memorizing Scripture, and they're praying for one another, and they're encouraging one another. Now, why those people? Well, because those are the people in the, in the small group that I'm in that we're willing to do it, okay? So, we want you to do this. Now, why is that? Is it another program? No, I'm talking about us discipling one another. Last week, the, the verse that we memorized was, "...and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works." You know how we stir up one another to love and good works? We get together and we concentrate on the Bible, reading it, memorizing it, and praying for and with one another, okay? And then it says we're to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's not like uh, one of us says, okay, I am learned and scholarly and now I will disciple you young ones. It's not like that. We're getting together to mutually encourage and build one another up. So let me tell you, when we get back to where we can meet again comfortably, and I'm already there, I don't know about you, but when we get back in our Sunday schools and in our small groups, um, we will have gone through a three-month discipleship thing where we're encouraging one another. I hope that you'll get in on that. The way you get in on that is you say, Hey, Steve, I want to do that, and we do it, okay? Either I do it or one of these guys that has gone through it or one of these ladies that has gone through it. Now, am I trying to push some other agenda at the tail end of a sermon? I don't think so. I think what I'm saying is we are to respond to the light we're given. We're given the light of God's Word, and we need to respond to it by paying attention to it, by learning it, by taking it seriously. And it's great to have people that we can ask about things we don't understand. Now, I realize some of you are mature, growing Christians, You say, hey, I'm not stuck at this toddler stage. I've been growing for, you know, I've been a believer longer than you've been alive. I realize we got some of those in here. We need you to help us disciple people. Guys, discipleship comes through the preaching of the word, and we do that. But discipleship also comes through one on one interaction, where one brother can say to another brother, hey, did you do the reading this week? And I either have to say, yes, I did, or I have to be ashamed. And then he says, What's our memory verse? And I tell him our memory verse so that I'm not embarrassed. All right, it's accountability. And then one of the wonderful parts is I can say, Brother, pray for me about this specific thing. And I know that he's going to do it. That is a blessing. That is encouraging one another, that's stirring up one another to love and good works. So guys, we need to respond to the revelation we have, not ignore the revelation we have, not leave it on the bookshelf, okay? Or if your Bible is on your phone, you never use that app, okay? If we don't look in the Word, learn the Word, dig into the Word, we won't grow. But on the other hand, if we do, God can grow you and He can grow you really quickly and He can use you in a big way that you don't even, haven't dreamed of yet. So let me encourage you and me to respond to the light we've been given. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your revelation in Scripture. Uh, Father, the more I read the Word, the more I want to read the Word. Lord, I know there are some of us who do read and study. I know there are some of us who don't read and study. Um, Father, I I pray that you would show us the burden of... uh, responsibility that we have for responding to the light we have. Lord we we read about the queen of Sheba that came just because she had heard of what you were doing. She made this super long trip to go find out more about you. Father the people of Nineveh didn't know you, hadn't heard of you. But when they heard a message from your prophet they responded. Lord we've been given so much revelation. Father, we have everything we need to grow. We have everything we need to get to know you through the Word. We have everything through the Spirit that we need to grow in our faith, to grow in our love for you, to grow in our obedience to you. So, Lord, I pray we'd use those things. We would really take seriously using those things. Father, I know that's not the church tradition. The church tradition is you show up on Sunday and you smile at folks and, and, uh, and you've checked that off for the week. But Lord, how can we respond to having your revelation by not even knowing what it says? Lord, I pray you'd deliver us from that. You'd give us a hunger for the Bible. You'd give us a thirst for your truth and your word. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to encourage one another in that pursuit. Lord, I pray that you will do this in your church for your glory as you build your church. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.